Welcome into the harvest. My name is Andrew Stroud, and this podcast is dedicated to helping you be a disciple and make disciples in the everyday places of life. Our hope is that the conversations that we have on this show can help you live the ancient faith in modern times. And today I'm privileged to be joined by a good, a good friend, a longtime friend, uh, Jim Cameron. Welcome onto the show. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. Now, you and I go back, I was trying to think about this, and I'm not sure I can actually pinpoint it, but it was sometime in the 2000s. So you, your memory might be better than mine, but maybe just by way of introduction, share a little bit about um, yourself, how we met, your history, and uh, bring us up to date with where you and your family are today. Yeah, for sure, man. No, I do remember you getting to Fort Bragg. That's where we we connected first, and um, probably helpful for others to uh, just for me to go back a little further, even than that. And for me, um, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio in a good home, learned a lot about God. Uh, God was good and he wanted us to be good. And so really what I took from that was just morality. And so, uh, what's interesting looking back on my life, um, I tried to always live a moral life, but what was on me that was, is really a weight that I don't think we can bear is finding uh, purpose and meaning and validation. And so uh, for me, where I tried to find that was, was through the army, through, through my work. And I thought, well, yeah, the army, you know, really giving yourself to something bigger than yourself would be a great way to do that. And so uh, mainly through the army, I threw myself headlong into, into this pursuit, trying to find validation through that. And uh, really at Fort Bragg, when we kind of crossed press, that was, that was kind of coming to a head and, in a number of ways. And um, of course, that was right around 2001. So 9-11 had occurred, the army was starting to deploy, the tempo was was uh, picking up. But and I had about seven years in the army at that point, six or seven. And uh, although it was there were there were glimpses of finding that purpose and validation, it just never, never really did it for me. And um, I ran in, you know, God, God was working in a, in a lot of different ways in my life, but eventually I ran into a, a group of guys who were really, really passionate about following Jesus and, um, yeah, obeying what he said. And that really resonated with me because they, they seemed to have this purpose that, that I could not find. And so didn't take too long. They, they invited me to, to, to join. Of course, that was the group you, you were with at the time, the navigators, um, started hanging out with those guys. And I realized, man, uh, Jesus offers this ultimate validation and this ultimate purpose. And, uh, and so it wasn't long till I received Christ there at Fort Bragg. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, you, you were a part of that ministry, Doug Cote, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people had a hand in it. Um, but man, it just, what drew me even more was the idea that God could use my life uh, in a way that had eternal purpose. And Jesus offered va- the ultimate validation, so I didn't have to worry about that, but but that God could use my life. And so um, I ended up staying in the army from there and, and continuing to pursue this, this idea that God could use my life through making disciples and helping others grow, 
uh, who would then repeat the process and seeing how in scripture that just uh, is really the means by which God is going to going to reach the ends of the earth and and fulfill the great commission. Um, so, yeah, my wife, Wendy, and I, we, we moved a couple of times throughout our career in the army, which was really cool. We got to see uh, ministry in different, slightly different contexts. It was all generally a military context. Um, sometimes more collegiate focused, uh, others just, you know, regular field ministry in, in the military. Um, and then in 2016, we retired and moved out to Hawaii and, and came on staff with an organization, the Navigators, um, really just wanting to help others grow in their ability to make disciples um, and this vision of generational disciple making uh, that Jesus has. So in Hawaii for, for about five years, and then most recently, we've we've decided to move back here to the mainland, and we are outside Fort Campbell, Kentucky, in Clarksville, Tennessee, which I know is near and dear to you. Um, but yeah, and so, so yeah, so we're here, uh, been here about two years, and we're still doing ministry with the Navigators. Yeah, someone who grew up in the Fort Campbell, Kentucky area, and who has visited Hawaii, that's a big shift, man, moving from Hawaii to uh, yeah. Fort Campbell and Clarksville. Uh, but no, that's, um, I, I, I joke only a little bit there. Uh, I'm glad you guys are there at uh, Fort Campbell. And, yeah. um, you know, I've shared in my own story, Fort Campbell had a very important part to play in my own life. That's that's where I met Cecil and Jeannie. Yeah. My wife and I were discipled by them. And and so uh, some of the themes that you already that already stood out in your own story and and your upbringing are things that we want to talk about today. So first of all, I thought it was interesting that you grew up, um, you know, being influenced by the the idea of God and morality and ethics, um, and maybe maybe with a a compass that pointed you towards um, an upright life, and yet didn't quite connect you. To God. So, um, and I think I had a similar, maybe some similar uh, themes in my own life where to me, God has always made sense. And I grew up in the Bible belt. So the Christian God is, is the one that I was familiar with and also had this longing for purpose and, and significance and, and finding meaning. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that, that says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And I've always um, thought that, that that's somehow related to this innate sense that that there is more to life that there is that there should be more than just existence and trying to make the best of it but you know our culture right now i think th those issues are are going to be you know even more relevant to what we're seeking or what we're confronting in the culture when it comes to helping this next generation um find god and find his purposes so we're going to talk a little bit about what is happening in the culture and, and how it relates to the, the mission that Jesus has given us to, to make disciples and to help others uh, come to know him. So you and I have known each other for coming up on 20 years, if not already uh, 20 years. So you're, you're a great friend and you've been a huge encouragement to me over the years. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I, I know your heart and we've had some, some conversations around some of the themes that, that we're going to talk about today. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate, I really yeah, appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, no, and you, you hit on, uh, just how 
moralism is is not enough, right? It, it, it leaves us empty at the end of the day. And I think that's a lot of what's going on in our culture is, is we're, we're taking the moralistic principles that, that God in creation uh, instilled and we're detaching them from the creator and thinking that we can have the same thing and the same benefit. And uh, it's kind of interesting because it does work pretty well. Uh, you know, you live a moral life. Generally, normally, usually you're going to do pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but man, at certain points, it just it just comes crashing down when you separate it from the creator. Um, and that's a lot of what I was experiencing personally and and uh, mm. in my life and, and what God used to draw me to himself. So, Jim, what do you think just to to touch on this before we we dive into other parts of the conversation? What do you think it was that that was the light bulb for you in terms of having this basic belief in God and having this desire for um, living the good life, living an upright life? What was it that prompted you to to actually turn to faith in Christ and and come to see who he really is and what his plan is for your life. Was there a, a set of events or maybe um, people that he brought into your life? I know you mentioned a few things there, but could you go into more detail about that? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think, I think for me, it was a lot centered around this idea of validation, um, which really when you boil that down, it's, it's redemption, the redemptive aspect of Christ that, no matter how hard you work, no matter how moral you are, no matter how well you live your life, it's never good enough. And, and deep down, we all know that. Um, and so I just kept trying to, to find purpose, find meaning, find that validation, really that, that deeper sense that I was good enough through the things that the world said would get me there. Um, and I, it just consistently came up empty. Um, and, you know, there were some bumps in the road um, at, at Fort Bragg in terms of my career, relationally, um, you know, things outside the military. They just all kind of came to a head to where I was like, I could no longer do this myself. I realized I realized in very clear terms I needed a savior. I, I needed more than just a boost, which is what I kind of thought of God was like right. he was there to kind of give you a boost when you needed it. Uh, so it was sort of that bootstraps Christianity perspective. Um, but I did not realize like, no, I'm I'm utterly dependent upon Christ and his redemption. Um, you couple that then with the idea that, oh, and by the way, once Christ redeems us, he has purpose and plan for us. He wants to use our life. He invites us into the family business, um, which is, man pretty cool, you know, that we get to do that, that he allows us to participate in that. Yeah. Well, do you think um, you and I also have uh, more recently, we've had a, a bit of an overlap because we've, well, I'm currently going through a program called the Colson Fellowship. It's part of uh, the Colson Center suite of, of ministries. Uh, some people may be familiar with the name Chuck Colson. He was a pretty well-known figure in uh Western Christianity in the late 1900s and even in the uh, the first decade of the 2000s, um, he's since passed away. But they they have a program called the Colson Fellowship, 
which is really designed to help believers uh, go deeper in their understanding of the scriptures, but also develop um, a better understanding of culture and how these things are often in tension or even in conflict. Um, and then learn how to navigate, how to how to better navigate bringing the 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 mindset and the values of the kingdom of God and the truth of the kingdom of God into the the everyday places of life. So you had gone through this a year or two back and we had some great conversations. Um, it it uh, inspired me to to go through and I'll be uh, wrapping that up here in the next couple of months, but there's a lot of reading involved in that and a lot of study about what's going on in the culture today. Um, and so I think you, you and I have both lived this experience, but we want to talk a little bit today about how our culture has really moved more and more towards centering all of reality and significance, meaning and purpose. Um, around what could be called the authentic self. It's not typically called that because that's too much of a nerd word, but it's the idea that um, you do you or living your truth or having the freedom to, that, that really life is ultimately found in having the freedom to self-express mm -hmm. and to, to find, look inward, find who you really are and then live that outwardly in society and, and be endorsed by society, not just not just have the freedom to do it, but right. to be sanctioned and um, to be validated. So maybe let's uh, let's shift into that conversation here. What are some of your thoughts when when you think about where our society and culture is at right now around this idea of being very focused on uh, self-expression and, and finding your true self? Yeah. Yeah, it's a that's a good one to really ponder. Um, I've thought about well, how how do we get to this point where uh, where people are so uh, we're, we're looking inward so much, um, and I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think uh, maybe it's a reaction to hey, you got to conform to culture, um, or you've got to conform to a way of living, um, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a challenge to that. I don't necessarily think that's a, a bad thing. It's just uh, what the second part of what you said is that in the culture, instead of like challenging or correcting that, what, what comes from the inside culture has to absolutely affirm it as if like, because it comes from within you, it is good. Hmm. I don't know right. what your is with that. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's definitely true, um, and it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of ironic. You know, this, this this hopefully isn't going to come across as you know a couple of middle aged men frustrated with what the kids are doing this day these days. But I mean, I do think that you see it expressed in so many ways, even to the point of, you know, if, if everyone if everyone is weird, then no one's weird. You know, it it, it it's almost like I think this this day and age has promoted individualism to such an extent and everyone's trying to differentiate themselves uh, so much uh, against the norm, against what might be perceived as uh, normality or the standard um, that everyone's doing it 
to the to the degree that nothing is really there is no norm anymore um in a sense you know we just have a bunch of atomized we have an atomized society of of individuals all trying to express themselves and be validated uh and i'm exaggerating a little bit but it's it's kind of what we're up against i think with um with our day and age and our culture and with this generation but i think what people are looking for is significance and meaning uh, but but rather than finding that in some sort of external um, source, mm-hmm. they try to find it internally, and and then be recognized, be seen and validated externally. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, how many times have you heard like you know the old uh, Frozen Elsa theme of like you know what's on the inside is is who you really are, right. uh, your be your true self, and and that's that's what really living is as opposed to know like we have a creator who has who has instilled a purpose for us and um we can we can either go inward or we can submit to you know what what he has laid forth and the story of scripture the redemptive story of scripture that is laid out yeah i was gonna say i i wonder if if uh particularly in in our christianity we're losing we're losing sight of of the the grander story that is out there you know um we have a creator we were created we are created good however there is the fall too that impacts all things and um to include our own our own selves and so um created good yes but not everything in us is good apart from the redemption of christ because there is that that fall that that impacts so much but i think then satan kind of grabs on to that idea that we're we're good and says yeah so everything within you is is good you just have to you know express it well enough um you know and the culture has to affirm it that type of right well you wrote an article for uh so far on the blog actually a couple of years ago now and it was on how the church has tried to i think adjust and I don't know if the church is trying to meet culture and society where it's at, or if it's just sort of drunk the Kool-Aid. And so it's actually presenting the gospel and presenting faith um, in a, through the lens of a self self-centeredness or being self-centered. Um, and the, uh, the term that you used was moralistic therapeutic deism. And that's not something that you came up with but it is a mouthful. You, you did a great job of breaking it down. And so we'll, we'll put a link to that article uh, in the show notes here, but maybe walk us through a little bit about how, um, how, what moralistic therapeutic deism is and why it's, it's misguided in its, in its attempt to help people find God and, and find this life that he promises. Yeah. So I'll try and break down more or less MTD for short, moralistic therapeutic deism sounds like a disease or something, uh, <laughs> uh, which it, it really is. Um, but it, so deism is the idea that there's a God, but he's not intimately involved um, as we know, as we know our God is that, that he is with us at all times, um, you know, and he is intimately interested in, in every aspect of who we are and what we do and, and so on. Uh, but rather that God is kind of is, is sort of removed, but he is watching. So that's the deistic part. Um, so I'm going to attack it backwards. Uh, the ther- uh no, I'm sorry. I'm going to go to moralism next. The, the moralistic is like, and this God wants you to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
whatever that looks like for the Christian or inside the church that has played out as, you know, following, generally following scripture, you know, the, the moralistic commands, the moral commands of scripture, right? And then uh, therapeutic is kind of what I alluded to earlier. Like when you get in a pinch, you you call out to this, this God who is out there and he can kind of come down and, and, uh, and help you out. So it's sort of like a, a, a Santa Claus kind of God um, who reaches down and, and gives you a boost whenever you need it. Um, I, I think potentially the reason a lot of the church is, is using it as a, or is falling prey to it is because in sharing the gospel, we're not, we're not sharing the truth of the gospel that Jesus is Lord. And, and there are benefits. We benefit from that, that, yeah, this Lord came and died for our sins that we may have redemption, validation, purpose, all these things, but rather we, we put the self there, you know, in the center. And so just like you were talking, it's, it's the, there's this selfish aspect or this self-centered aspect that I, I think we're catering to, and it leads to these uh, moralistic therapeutic deism type beliefs and approaches uh, that many fall prey to. Yeah, so it and each you really take each of those words and see that it departs from the true gospel, right? So so moralistic, the idea that what God is ultimately concerned about is us living good moral lives. That that that's it. So if we're doing that, God's pretty much just going to check in on us every now and then. Yep, Jim's doing good. Um no need to really interact with him. His life is on track. You know, therapeutic is the idea that God wants us to be happy and to feel good about ourselves and about life and about the world. And, and God's ultimate concern is, is the happiness of his people. Right. Um, and then deism, like you said, is it's, it's a belief that God exists, but it's a presentation of God as a very remote, uh, detached figure in terms of um, what's happening in the world, what's happening in our lives, the course of history. Um, and so, and these are things that people just sort of uh, imbibe. It's not something that people are spending time really thinking through and trying to see if it does matter. It's just, this is sort of the default posture of a lot of certainly the Protestant church um, in the West and in America in particular. And for sure, that was, you know, I would say growing up, like that was kind of my mindset. I absolutely thought of, I, I believe that God existed, but I also did see him as being very disconnected from my life, not, not really aware of what was going on in my life, uh, or really being overly concerned. And if God, if I ever did draw God's eye, you know, God's attention, it was probably because I had gotten off track and, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, God actually used that when I came to faith because, you know, life did kind of fall apart for me at a certain point in life. Um, and it made me suspect that, Oh, God's mad at me. So I probably ought to at least spend some time thinking about what I've done wrong. And, and God used that to, to bring some people into my life and to get me reading the scriptures. And from there, you know, I could discover the true gospel. But, um, but yeah, this idea of uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, it really misdiagnoses God. It mis misdiagnoses us that we have the ability to to live in a way that is going to bring life and and purpose and significance and then it it misdiagnoses god's desire and purpose for us it's not just that we would 
feel good of ourselves. And, and like you said, it, it sort of puts us, it's sort of a, um, a sanctified version of the authentic self because we're trying to find the good life for ourselves versus trying to discover who God is and, and what he's doing in the world so that we could be a part of it. And it's sneaky because it's a one-off, you know, like God does want us to be moral. Right. God, God uh, a benefit of Christ as Lord is that uh, we do experience the fruits of the spirit, joy, peace, you know, patience, self-control. These are good things, you know, um, and, and they, they tend to make for a happier life. Right. Um, but it's, but it's just a one-off by that. It sort of puts us in the driver's seat of making this happen mm-hmm. as opposed to no, nope, there, there's a creator. Um, and like we said, you know, he's, he's authored this story and, and we get to be a part of this story. And that, that is a, a awesome thing. So. Yeah. I, I think I'm struck by how, like you said, it's a one-off, but in some ways it becomes an exact opposite. <laughs> you know, so Jesus, it it just, it points to how radical the gospel is and how countercultural, truly countercultural the gospel is. And I think the gospel has always been uh, countercultural. I, maybe this, um, this particular view of the self and the way our society is organizing itself around individualism. I do think that that is new and it's unique. If we look at the, the art of history, um, you know, societies used to be much more communal and, and that's no, that's not the case as much now, but it's more of that. This is the presentation of, um, a worldview or, uh, an ideal of the good life that is new, but the roots of it are still things that we see in the scriptures. So, you know, when Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's, that's more relevant today than ever, I think, because so many of us are, are trying to find ourselves. We're trying to find our truth and then live our truth. And, and what Jesus is saying is that, you know, the way you're actually going to find the abundant life and experience what you're really longing for is, is to lose yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my sake and the gospels, like you said, find, find where you fit, be invited into this external story that God is telling and become part of that is actually the way that you're going to, you're going to find what you're, you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, and, and as you put the, that lens on, you just start mm-hmm. to see everything from a different perspective. Um, one of the things that's been striking me for a while is just really that idea of giving up your life to gain your life is humility. Um, James 4.10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So uh, just like in my own story, you know, instead of me trying to validate myself or, you know, if we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. people in our culture today, trying to, trying to self-express and and find purpose and validation and meaning through through expressing yourself. No, we're saying we're going to set that aside and we're going to submit to we're going to trust ourselves to Jesus as Lord and allow him to exalt us, allow him to validate us, allow him to redeem us. Mm. And uh yeah, and allow us to then participate in that work that he has for us. 
Well, we're trying to paint this picture of where we think culture is at right now, where society is at. And it isn't so much so that we can kind of shake our fist, stand out on our front lawn and and talk about how um, the culture is <laughs> going to hell in a handbasket. It's because we kind of want to pivot at this point and talk about what is, how is this showing up in the lives of the, the people that we interact with, whether they have not yet come to faith, or in many cases, they are believers, and yet they're living out of this, this worldview and this, this sense of self um, that is backwards from what God is actually wanting them to do. And as, as people who have been called to make disciples, you know, what are some of the unique challenges that we face? And hopefully we can give folks some ideas about how to address it and how to be aware of this, uh, this wrong view of God and life and self that many of us in, in culture today are bringing into our faith and bringing into discipleship. And one of the chief ways that this gets expressed, Jim, is through sexuality and how we understand our sexuality, how we express our sexuality. So why don't we try to connect the dots between what we've been talking about in terms of a very self-focused life, trying to, to, find, to, to be actualized and find purpose through expressing our true selves. Why is sexuality so, so important to that? And why do we find that at the core of the modern sense of self? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I, I think sexuality um, goes really deep for all of us. And, and for most of us, we can resonate with this idea that, uh, you know, we have strong sexual desires. They're, they're incredibly strong. I mean, they're so strong that, that we would uh, give up uh, things, you know, that, that we might other, for example, take, just taking a girl out on a date, you know, the fact that you're going to pay for this girl so you can go out on a date um, is giving yourself in a way that just from a selfish, a self-centered point of view doesn't really make sense. So God has put these desires uh, deep within us. Um, and I think it it also is used, God uses it to uh, image the gospel. I mean, Paul in uh, Ephesians 5 um, as he's talking about how husbands and wives should interact and correlate in marriage, um, you know, he's, he says this mystery is profound. He connects it back to Genesis. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and, and you know, cling to his wife. Um, and he says, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church, um, hmm. which is really uh, the primary purpose of our sexuality is is to point us to the gospel, give us a, a really, really powerful, tangible picture of the gospel. And so it makes all the sense in the world that Satan would go after that. And so, yeah, I think, and, and just to build on that for a second, the way that he's going to go after it is, you know, we we have desires, like we were talking about the grand story, you know, create, we've created with desires uh, original creation, those desires are good, but they're they're disordered uh, with the fall. and and Satan really takes it um, takes aim at that, as does our culture at catering to these disordered desires um, of sex and sexuality. yeah, I, I, I'm thinking that um, 
what's what's been broken like you you mentioned the fall earlier so from from scripture and when we look at what god says about the state of humanity and how we how we got to where we are today you know we we see an identity in genesis and in the scriptures where um we're made in the image of god and like you said he he has wired certain desires into us, you know, from the beginning, from before sin entered in, before the fall, we have these desires. But what's happened is, you know, humanity has been broken and there's a disordered um, expression. You know, things aren't quite wired up the way that they should be. And and also our sense of identity, who we really are, um, that's been uh, distorted and in many cases lost, you know, so instead of finding who we are by looking outside of ourselves, you know, so it's not, you know, when it comes to identity, it's not something that you, you can just have, you have to find it somewhere. And so um, what scripture would tell us is that we find it by looking outside of ourselves and specifically looking to God, the, the creator, the author of our lives and this world and all creation. If we want to get reconnected to who we really are, we have to be reconnected to the one whose image we bear. Um, and, and yet if we, if we kind of cut, cut God out of that picture, like, it, so if we're seeking identity, but God is no longer a, a realistic source where we can find that, which is kind of what modernity has done in, in exiling God, well, we still have to find our sense of self. We still have to find our identity. Otherwise, we're just going through life uh, unanchored and and lost. Um, and so many of us turn inward. And that's really what society and culture and, and even intellectual philosophical thought has pushed us to do uh, over the past few centuries. And, you know, the, the deepest desires that we have are often tied to our sexuality. And so, you know, in this desire, in, in this and this need to find who we truly are, our, our true identity, and in looking inwardly, you know, some of the desires that are most central to who we are revolve around sexuality. And so having the desire to express that, and that's why, um, you know, to oppose someone who has an alternative sexual lifestyle, now it's not even so much that that you're coming against their behavior you're coming against their person because this is this is who they are they're simply wanting the freedom to live it out and by you condemning it or saying that it's wrong you're not condemning just an action the way it's received is you're condemning me as a person you're saying that i'm not legitimate yeah yeah and and uh I've I've often heard the the quote you know why would god make me this way if if god mm-hmm. didn't want me to function this way and that that can go probably two different ways one can be like well if, if somebody's struggling with same sex attraction but even uh for those who struggle uh with heterosexual <laughs> lust you know I've I've heard I've been helping many guys who you know that's their struggle why would god give me this this strong desire now generally for those guys, they're, they're trying to, uh, control it and, and trying to address it, but man, they're like, why would God make me this way? And so, Mm. um, and I, I think that obviously connects to the fall that, you know, what was made straight, uh, has been bent. Um, and really 
for us moving forward, if somebody wants to move forward in that in a healthy way, they need to to look to the one who can who can bend it back, which is, who is Christ, um, to redeem these disordered desires, these bent desires. Um, but man, you you definitely hit on it. It it runs so deep. Um, it, it's interesting in Genesis one, he says he created a male and female. He created he specifically says male and female. He created them in the image of God. You know, mm-hmm. connecting the idea that you know our sexuality is really a part of us being in the image of God as well. Our, yeah, I think as long as um, and this is where the the idea of moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, we'll never get us there because if the idea is that God is simply going to fix um, how we're made and and help us feel better about ourselves, um, we're looking for we're looking for that in the wrong place. We have to actually disconnect from this this framework of identity being rooted in what's inside of us and these desires that we have, these core desires that that if we can just live those out in the most um, healthy way, we're going to find life. Mm. It's actually, no, that has to be unplugged and, and then plugged into what the scripture actually tells us, which is, you know, we find our true identity and we, we find the proper uh, ordering of our desires by, by plugging into what God says about himself and what God says about us. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great, a great point. And that process, I like the analogy of unplugging and plugging in, um, you know, to unplug from an outlet and plug into another outlet is a fairly easy process. But for us, right. It's a whole different thing because all of our lives, uh, the current of culture has just been, uh, coming against us. And it, it that that current of culture didn't get to where it is by accident. It got to where it is uh, because it's it's effective. Uh, right. You know, it 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 people like it, and so it caters to our own disordered mm-hmm. desires, our own flesh nature. Um, and so you have to have that intentional recognizing one, recognizing where you are, and and saying, okay, I need to unplug here, and then. I, I am going to uh, reorient to the one who has created me and has, you know, established an identity for me and submit to that, um, even if it doesn't feel pleasant at the time. So where do we where do we go from here? Maybe we can spend the next few minutes uh, as we wrap up by sharing some practical suggestions from our own lives, like how we've wrestled with trying to unplug and then get uh, plugged into the right source for identity, desires, purpose, significance. And um, just as importantly, as we interact with this next generation and we're seeking to help them find the truth, follow God, mm-hmm. and we're, we're really helping them understand this, this pressure, like you said, this, this, this current that mm-hmm. they've grown up with. So when we come into contact with them, they've already got a certain way of viewing themselves and viewing life and to help them recalibrate and get focused around the gospel, especially in this area of sexuality. um, What are you finding helpful and what are some of the things you're learning about helping people make that, that shift? Yeah, I, 
That's that's really good. I think the first part is that aspect of recognizing that that all of us are impacted by the culture. And so all of us, all of us probably need some deprogramming, you know, like mm-hmm. so as as we unplug from that or we counter the, the current of culture. Um, it's going to take some proactive deprogramming. It doesn't just happen by itself. And so um, one, recognizing where we're at to um, committing to like, Hey, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try and um, there, there's, there's some bad thinking here in my own mind mm-hmm. or, or in the person I'm trying to help and we need to go after it. Um and the next piece is tied to that. How are we going to go after that? I think it's super helpful to understand the story. So I, I, I've heard an old Jewish saying that uh, rabbis would say, trust the story. Hmm. Um, and I really like that. That's been somebody said that to me a couple of weeks ago. And I've just been thinking about that. And it's like, that's really, really helpful to trust the story um, and I think for me in areas where I struggled in that and others that I see struggling in it, it's, they really don't know the story necessarily. They may, they may, yeah, I understand this, but they really don't understand the depth of it. That even in our sexuality, there is this story that's being played out that yes, Mm -hmm. your sexuality comes from God very, very much so. uh, But it is disorder, these disordered desires. And how can we, how can it, how do we, right the ship it's not it's not by indulgence um you know as our culture would say being your authentic self or letting that shine um but rather uh submitting to the redemption of christ or receiving the redemption of christ and moving forward in that um so being in the scripture and one final piece on that is if we're going to trust the story we need to trust the author you know Hmm. so a large part of just being in the scripture is, is gaining an appreciation uh, of, of who the author is. And man, there's a lot of things that, that I don't know. I can't understand, but, but uh, I can trust the author. I can trust the God who is orchestrating things and say, okay, I can, I can move in this. So maybe that was a run on answer, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think there's a few things that I would want to just sort of like um, emphasize yeah. that I heard you say. I think one is just understand that you're not starting in neutral. So all of us have been um, programmed through culture and through our upbringing to think a certain way. And it's actually a way that is at odds with the reality that God presents us with in the scriptures. And so all of us need to be willing to to allow our assumptions about reality and and who we are and how we're going to find the good life, who God is, what he's looking for, like all of that should be on the table and it should be negotiable in terms of let's, let's each of us go into the scriptures and allow him to reshape and, and recalibrate our understanding of these, these really basic things. And that's why perhaps um, when getting back to discipling others, you know, until someone's ready to do that, it's really hard to introduce them to Jesus. Uh, You can talk about God and in a general sense and, and Jesus in a general sense, but, you know, going back to your own story about the turning point in your life, um, 
it really wasn't until things had broken down that you were willing to consider like, well, maybe, maybe I don't have it right. Maybe, maybe there's something totally different out there that uh, I've been missing. And so uh, just being aware that other people are, um, are coming to this thing with a flawed view, but trying to look for that, that unease or that sense that, Hey, I know that I've been told that this is how you really find meaning and, and success, but I'm not finding it. Yeah. And then being ready with that, that true story, being able to introduce them to, yeah, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why it's not working, even though it seems like everyone around you says it is working and society is presenting you with success stories of this is how you're going to find meaning and significance. Um, it's not working for a reason. Here's the true story and how you can be, be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, I like that. And, and I would just add that for one who has already given their life to Christ, we ought to have a better answer than just stop it. You know, with, if they're <laughs> struggling with, you know, whatever, whatever in terms right. of their sexuality. And, you know, we, we have, we have this beautiful picture, you know, of, of what sexuality is and, and how, uh, you know, it's a gift and how it's intended to really, for all of us, married, single, to be a foretaste um, of what is to come. So, Yeah, I think um, we, we live in a very sexualized uh, time. And the church, rather than, like you say, rather than just saying like, hey, let's not talk about that. Let's not address that. I do think there are some great resources and ministries out there that can help us um, understand sexuality. Uh, you and I, well, I'm, but yeah, I think we're both reading it right now. There's a book called Holy Sexuality by uh, Christopher Yuan. Mm-hmm. Um, does a great job of centering sexuality in scriptures and, and in God's original purpose. Another resource that I would encourage people to check out is um, Why You Think the Way You Do. Did you uh, read that one, Jim? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's part of the Colson Fellows. Yep. Yeah, good. by Glenn Sunshine. And he does, I think he does an excellent job of just tracing how we got from A to Z. So he starts with basically for the ancient Romans, what was their worldview? Like what was their sense of what life is all about and, and how to live the good life? And then he just by by each um age from then till now, he traces how that shifted. And there, there's a story, like you said, the narrative. There's a story of why we, you know, why you think the way you do, um, why we have the the default views of life and and ourselves that we do, um, and if you kind of understand that, that what your what your default, all of us have this sense that our default is reality, and um, once you understand that, no, it's actually our default is what we've grown up in. It's just, it's what we've accepted. It's what's been placed on us by the, the, the time that we live in the culture that we're part of. And, and that really helps. I think that helps you step back and say, well, okay, if this isn't the way it is, this is just the way I understand it, yeah. which could be flawed. It almost gives you, it helps you step back and say, well, okay, what, what does God say? What, what does he say the reality is? And all of us, that's, I think that's part of the unplugging and and plugging into God's truth is just recognizing that our default understanding of these things is not something that actually represents reality. It's it's just our understanding 
that's been bred into us <laughs> through uh, the time and age that we live in. Yeah. Yeah, man. No, that's good. It's, it's hard too, because uh, we are so programmed and it, it's, you, you know, it's like fish don't realize they're in water till they're out of water, you know, like we, right. we just don't realize um, how much the culture has impacted us. Um, again, it just kind of goes back to how, you know, we really need to be students of the scripture. Um, I, I often think of that as like, why, why am I getting it? Why do I study the scripture and read it and, and memorize it? It's because I'm trying to change my operating system from that of the world uh, and the right. culture to that of Christ, you know, and looking at it from, from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's that, that need for a complete uh, changeover of operating systems. And then there's also, you know, we get these little viruses where, you know, even if we are with the, the, the right operating system, as we go through life, it's very common for us just to pick up um, bad ways of thinking that are often happening at a subconscious level. So if you don't expose yourself to the scriptures in an ongoing way, again, you're not even going to necessarily be aware that you've picked that up. Um, so the scripture does a great job of shining a light and challenging those, those wrong beliefs that we have. Well, any, uh, any final thoughts that you would want to share, Jim, on this whole topic of the authentic self and making disciples and some of the challenges that it presents us with? No, man, it, it, it's good. I, I, I think we've hit on most of it. Um, um, like I said, the new one for me is I'm just pondering this idea. Well, I trust the story. And I like that. I like that image that's created like, okay, well, what is the whole story? Uh, not yeah. just one, one specific part of it. So yeah. Uh, one other thought, I guess I, I would throw out there too, is um, there are aspects of just sex and sexuality and, and all of this stuff that, that we don't understand. And, and it can lead us to one of two places. Um, it can either lead us to a place of where we're in despair or angry or or whatever, um, or it can can lead us to a place of of worship where we surrender. Mm. Um, I think of Paul in in like Romans, where in chapters nine, ten, eleven, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and the interplay there, and you can tell like reading it, like he's almost frustrated with God. Mm. Uh, but then at the end, uh, at the end of chapter 11, he he just talks about how deep are the riches and, you know, of God. And he ends up, you know, in praise from him, through him, to him are all things. Yeah. So, yeah. I just think keeping that perspective of like, hey, I want to I want it to lead me to a plate for the. Yeah. As I study the scripture and I try and understand this story and, and how the story flows, I want it to lead me to a place of worship, uh, not a place of despair and uh, anger. No, I appreciate that. And I, I, that is one of my favorite verses out of Romans 11. Um, you know, Romans, Romans is 16 chapters long. Paul spends the first 11 chapters really walking through the good news, what, what God has done to, to bring us back to himself. And he's, he, he goes really deep and, you know, lots of people over the centuries have studied Romans because he does such a great job of breaking down the good news, but you're right at the end, he, he's still left with, you know, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable 
are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So even at the end of all that, he's like, but you know what? It's so much deeper than even what I've just laid out in these 11 chapters. Uh, But it's cause for hope and rejoicing that it's, it's even better. It's even deeper than we're able to, to comprehend. Um, But, but we, we should reflect on it. We should meditate on it. We should seek to spend our lives learning God's truth versus our, our default way of, of thinking. Yeah. It's good, man. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on. I want to do it again. I know uh, this is something that um, you and I um, feel strongly about, but I would I would say that we're both seeking to articulate it better. So maybe we can take another stab at it in the future. Um, I hope what people will take away from this is that when, when it comes to making disciples, being disciples and making disciples, there are some very fundamental root issues that we can't just ignore or try to build on top of like there's a there there are foundational issues about identity what we do with our desires that that we have inside of us what our concept of the good life is and what god is looking for and and if we just try to jump straight into um activities and and getting people to do live certain ways without ever addressing those those root fundamental issues then I don't think we're going to help people the way that that we all need to be helped to, to get reconnected to the truth of what God says about who we are and and how He's designed reality to work. Yeah, I agree, man. It's this is super important if we want to make disciples who make disciples for a lifetime. Like you can go for a while on on those other ideas, but if we want to do it for the long haul. Um, people have to really under, have that foundation like you're describing. We can't just build on a, a, a you know, a bad foundation. Well, Jim, I mentioned a couple of uh, resources that people could uh, look into. Holy Sexuality by Christopher Yuan. Um, Why You Think the Way You Do by Glenn Sunshine. I'll link those as well as your article on moralistic therapeutic deism. Any um, Any resources that you would point people towards as we wrap up? Um, there's just one that I that I thought of as you were saying that is uh, Rethinking Sexuality by Julie Slattery. And really in it, she is advocating for uh, what she calls sexual discipleship. And it's just what we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, awesome, man. Well, I'll, I'll put a link to that one as well. So thanks, brother. Thanks for coming on. And I appreciate the way that you're following Jesus and still trying to learn and go deeper in your understanding of of who he is and how he's wired us and uh, sharing some of that wisdom with us today. Yeah. Thanks, bro. I appreciate what you're doing with into the harvest, getting into people's hands. So. All right, man. We'll talk again soon.